everyone, and welcome to episode 25 of the Holding Court Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. We'll be joined by Dodgers TV analyst for Sportsnet LA, former GM of the Dodgers and best-selling author, Ned Coletti. He's going to share just a few of his millions of stories he has from his almost 40-year career in baseball. And we might even share how Ned and I work together on signing Justin to the Dodgers. Little fun fact for you. And that is all coming up right now on Holding Court. Hello, hello. It is just me doing the intro this week. I am so excited to have Ned on, though, and Justin's going to join us in a minute when we get him on the line, but I wanted to give a little backstory. Ned was obviously the GM of the Dodgers when Justin signed here, and he just has such an incredible career starting with his hometown team of the Cubs and going to the Giants and then going to the rival Dodgers, obviously that whole transition. Now he's become a best-selling author. He is a current TV analyst for Sportsnet LA. I'm sure you all watch him during the pre and the post game. He's a scout for the San Jose Sharks. And this guy has stories from the moment I met Ned in that opening series in Australia. He's just that kind of guy you want to sit down at dinner, pour a glass of wine, and just turn him loose on all of his stories because he has been in the thick of it for so many different signings and situations. And obviously, you know, the current team that we're watching right now with the Dodgers, he signed so many of these guys and had a hand in, you know, sculpting this whole team. And so appreciate all of his efforts in the organization and what he did. And I'm excited to get him on the phone, going to patch him and Justin in and talk a little baseball. So let's give him a call. Hi, Ned. How are you? I'm doing good, Clark. Doing well. Thank you. I mean, during these crazy times, you know, what does life look like for you? I know you're in the studio now, but obviously things have to be a little different. Things are a lot different. Um, you know, the studio at least has the same presence and same feel to it, although we, uh, you know, we stay six feet apart and use uh, use a mask uh, in the office part of it to, to get ready for a show with uh, Jay Hare and John and Nomar. And uh, it has been different and being away from baseball from really middle of March till really July was, was also very different. It was the longest stretch of time and boy, since I was a little kid that I, I wasn't at a stadium and uh, it was just different, but I'm glad we're back and, and hopefully we'll finish strong and and have a good time doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of the studio, I got to ask you, how is, is it a little funky being in the studio with two guys that I believe that you signed to be Dodgers with Jerry and and Nomar in there? Like, what what are there any interesting conversations about about that about you signing them to be a Dodger? Well, no, that's a great one. Actually, I signed Oral, too, for one year in San Francisco. So whenever he's in there, I got the whole group. And we had Tony Gwynn Jr. for a minute, too. But, yeah. you know, with um, with Nomar, we, we talk about it once in a while. Um, you know, there was – I've signed I don't know how many hundreds of players. There are two guys I was kind of in awe of in, uh, in signing. And no offense, JT, you weren't one of them, although you turned out to be one of the best. <laughs> One was Andre Dawson years ago with the Cubs, and then and then Nomar, having watched him play in the American League most of the time and for a minute with the Cubs before we became a free agent. Uh, it was really cool, and sat down with him ahead of time, him and his, his, his bride, Mia, and got to know him a little bit, and someone we were able to sign him. It was cool. So we talk about that once in a while. 
But Jay Harris situation, that might come up every week. <laughs> every week, some most of the time on air. You know, Jay, you know, I apologize to Jay Harris for missing his 3,000 big league hit. I apologize for missing the Hall of Fame induction. I apologize <laughs> for all those things because obviously he was a far greater player than the guy I signed. And I, I could have. <laughs> Wait, so you're telling me you telling me you missed all the alumni Dodger games? You missed the three thousand hit? Well, every once in a while, when somebody hits a foul ball down a left field line, I go, you know, in an old timers game, they would some people would think that was a home run, you know. <laughs> and uh, so we give them a hard time. I also, you know, I signed him in uh, in Scottsdale. I spent a lot of time in AZ, and uh, that particular winter, I signed him. I met with Chris Capuano, signed him. Mark Ellis signed him. And, and Jay Hare, all in the same little restaurant over where they live. And uh, I told him a couple months ago on the air, I said, you know, Jay Hare, I happen to be in Scottsdale, and I went by that restaurant that uh, we did the deal in. And he goes, yeah. I said, there's a plaque outside that says, in this restaurant, the greatest robbery in Arizona State history took place. <laughs> and it's got your picture and my picture. <laughs> <laughs> but we have a lot of fun. We have a ton of fun. I will say I asked Jerry and John to play in a charity softball tournament uh, with the Justin Turner Foundation. We teamed up with Pantone 294 and actually played in their tournament. I will say Jerry cannot touch a softball, but Hartung can swing it and play first base. So you might have missed the – might have signed the wrong guy. <laughs> That's a possibility. I think that's a good possibility. Hartung yeah. is sitting on some footage of the strikeouts, though. So <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta ask Hartung for the footage. Jerry struck out in a slow pitch softball game. Oh goodness gracious, that is priceless. <laughs> I'm gonna bring that up. You know, if if Jerry if Nomar would have went O for one thousand two hundred and thirty four at bat, think about that. That's two plus seasons. If he'd gone O for one thousand two thirty four. He'd have a point ahead of Jerry in batting average <laughs> career. All he'd have to do is go hitless for two complete seasons oh, to beat Jay Harris. Jay Harris says, you know, he got better pitches. What can I tell you? you did know. you calculate that or did, or did uh, Nomar calculate that? Well, we were <laughs> no, no, we had to tell Nomar about it. But John and I were listening to Jerry before a show one night a year or so back, and we're listening and we're rolling our eyes. I mean, we love, we all love each other, you know. And so John says, I gotta, I'm gonna figure something out here. And so he went to work quietly for about five minutes and he handed me a piece of paper that said, Oh, for 1,234. So what's this? And he points to Jay Harry and he goes, What Nomar would have to do to hit like this guy. <laughs> oh, man. That's good. That's good. Uh, well, well, as much as much as I know, we all enjoy giving Jerry a hard time, even though we we love him to death. Uh, yep. Want to want to talk a little bit about you know this year's team and uh, you know you have your hands all over this year's team and a lot of guys that are performing and, and producing for us uh, were your guys. Uh, how many how many guys on this year's club uh, were are you responsible for? Goodness. Uh... Kirsch was my first draft, my first year. Um, Kenley uh, was here when I got here, but he was a catcher. Um, yeah. You know, a light-hitting catcher would probably be an exaggeration. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, had the great arm and, and all that. And so moved him to the, the bullpen and obviously best closer in the history of the franchise. Seeger, Belly, Jock, um, Ryu, who left, obviously, and Puig, who left, and Strip, who just got traded. Ferguson, uh, Urias, 
um, Ruiz. Ruiz Bye. just made it, you know, Gonzalez. Yeah. Quite a few. I take, uh, I'm, I'm glad to see it. I'm glad to see guys have great careers. You know, most of these guys I knew when they were 18 years old mm-hmm. and they're getting out of high school. Or you're watching them play in high school and you're, you're, you're hoping on them. They're hoping on them, their families, the whole thing. And then you start to see them grow up and you start to see them become not just big league players for a minute, but really star big league players on a team that's got a shot to win. Uh, so it's, it's cool. And you too, you know, I mean, you were, you were, and I talk about it all the time. You took a chance. You bet on yourself, and uh, I always respect that out of you. And you were you were a, a true Dodger from the get go, and uh, that's that's unique. When I look back, uh, it'll be 40 years in January if I make it that long. 40 years in the game. There's few guys I know, and I say this in complete honesty. There's few guys I know that worked harder and and came from point A to a much higher point B than you did. And it's all due to hard work and dedication and your leadership and who you are and, and Courtney and who you are and the combination of you two. Tell you what, it's as good as it gets. Oh, I, I, I appreciate that. We appreciate that. And, uh, you know, as, as much as I bet on myself, you know, you took a chance on me as well. And, um, you know, I, I was in a pretty dark place uh, that off season after the 2013 season, I found out I got non-tender, didn't know what was going to happen. And, uh, fortunately for me, uh, late in January, maybe even the beginning of February, I think, uh, you decided to take a chance on me and, and reach out and, and bring me into this organization. That's been the, one of the best things that's ever happened to, to both court and I. So I, I got to say thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. You know, we, um, the non-tender list was always important to me because you could always find somebody who made a mistake. And I looked at that list and I remember seeing your name on it going, you know, what? this, we had lost Jay Hare, We had lost Skip and Nick. And I, I was looking for somebody who could, could play in the infield and have some versatility, but could hit. And I thought that, that you had the ability to certainly hit as well as any of those guys, if not better at that stage of their career, that stage of your career. And, um, you know, I started calling your agent and started to work and working through it and waiting for the market to settle a little bit and waiting for everybody to figure out what they wanted to do. But uh, as soon as I saw your name, I said, "This not only does he fit what I need as a player, but he also is from here. So he's got a pretty good chance to know what it means to be a Dodger because not everybody can be a Dodger. I think it's one of those unique groups, Dodgers, Yankees, uh, you know, maybe three or four other teams. Not everybody can play in that environment and be successful and understand and respect what the uniform means. But I knew that, that you had a chance to not only be a player for us in a lot of different ways, but also that you, you have respect for what it meant to be a Dodger. Worked out great for everybody. Yeah, it did. And I, I want to get some clarity on some of, the, on some of these things because there's a lot of different stories out there about, you know, the whole process of me yeah. ending up a Dodger, you know, and and I, I think there's a little bit of truth to all of them, to be honest. Um, you know, I ran into Tim Wallach at the alumni game. He asked me what was going on. I told him I was I was still a free agent, um, you know, and he said he went to Donnie and came back to the Dodgers and said I was still out there. I also worked out and did a lot of hitting that offseason with Marlon Bird, and he came to me um, a few days before you had reached out, and he said, hey, I just talked to Michael Young. I think he's planning on retiring. He's like, whatever you do, don't make a decision until, you know, he decides to hang him up. If he hangs him up, I think there's a pretty good chance 
the Dodgers might give you a call. So all this stuff was kind of like floating around there. And I don't know how much truth to it there was. There was also, uh, you had a hard time getting in contact with my representation. <laughs> so you ended up going through Cat Bellinger, who got a hold of my wife, who got a hold of me because I was working out at the time. And then I had to call uh, my my big agent, Greg, and say, hey, can you can you give Ned a call? So all this stuff is kind of going around and floating around. I just don't know how much truth there is to any of it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't know about the Marlin uh, bird piece of it. I don't, I've met Marlin once or twice, but never really had any in-depth conversations with him. As soon as you were non-tendered, we had you on the radar. And I knew it was going to take some time to, to sort things out. And, um, and I knew what we had financially to offer, and I knew that that was probably uh, had a chance to be beaten by other teams. So I had to kind of let the market play a little bit. And uh, I would talk to Donnie every so often and bring him up to date on thought process, but never anything in depth. I never discussed negotiations with, with the manager, any manager, Joe, Grady, Felipe going back or Dusty going back. Uh, I didn't think that they needed to know the negotiation piece of it. All they needed to know was the interest because I would never put a player on a team that the manager didn't want. Yeah. So I'm sure I'd gone to Donnie and says, this is, this is our list of extra of utility guys, guys that we think can help us. And, and let me start with the guy that just got non-tender, Justin Turner. And he was, yeah, yeah, I, I, could, I could see that. I like that. And then, and then it goes quiet for a while between the manager and I. We get, unless we get something else to think about, talk about, I usually give the manager the winter to kind of, kind of marinate a little bit and kind of, you know, get off, get off the grid, as they say. And then um, Timmy calls me after, uh, calls Donnie, and then he calls me after seeing you at the alumni game. And I, you know, and I, I, I loved him. And uh, he says, yeah, you know, I think this guy could help. And I said, yeah, you know what, I, I, I can't disagree. I, I didn't tell him. I mean, he was, in all due respect, he was the coach to Donnie. So, you know, I, I didn't I didn't bring every coach into every discussion, but I did say, yeah, you know, that, that's a guy that we do have an interest in. And um, the third part of it is I can I can remember I, I I have a pretty good memory for remembering where I am when something happens. And I'm walking down the hall at Dodger Stadium in the middle of the winter, and I'm passing the suite levels, right? And um, Cat comes out of the office. <laughs> Where, where, where her office was, and she says, hey, how you doing? I said, good. She goes, hey, you know who I know? I said, who's that? She says, I know Courtney, who is Justin Turner's girlfriend. I said, really? And she goes, yeah. I said, oh, my goodness. You know, tell him, tell her to tell him that, uh, you know, I want to I see if we can figure out a way to sign this guy. And so I ran into her two or three times. And I don't know if you know this part. This may be a, a little extra part to the story. I'd see Cat and I'd say, "Are you getting any feel for if, if uh, Courtney and Justin want to be Dodgers? <laughs> you getting any feel? Courtney giving you any hint?" And as we were getting closer, she goes, "Oh yeah, they're they're excited about this." Because <laughs> I don't know, because you know, there's a there's a cat and mouse to the negotiation too, you know. Literally, no a cat. <laughs> yeah, there you go, exactly. You know, and uh, I've had uh, and I teach at Pepperdine. Uh, about four years now and uh, I've had Greg up in class because he was a Pepperdine grad mm -hmm. and uh, and so we, we brought that story up uh, a few different times but uh, yeah it was interesting I don't think I've ever worked with anybody in the front office who was friends with the, the girlfriend fiance <laughs> wife of a player I was trying to sign I think I think Courtney you're the only person you and Kat the only combination that of 40 years that I've ever had the, that but I do remember asking her near the end 
Are you getting any feel for whether or not they're interested in this? Because it did go on for quite a while. It was probably a month long of conversation, if not more. Well, I'm glad you clarified because you and I were just doing deals, you know, from the beginning. And then flash forward, <laughs> flash forward to Justin telling me the day of the Australia trip that, you know, he for sure was going. And so he's like, you got to be at the field at, I don't know, seven o'clock. And then, you know, 30 hours later, we're sitting at the blackjack table together. So I think it all. That's right. Just... That's right. You know what? I had forgotten about that. But you're right. We played blackjack the first night in Australia since we got in at the hotel. So Great Jeff, memory. I'm glad you remembered that. Yeah. That, that's right. Justin that's was betting right. on himself, and we were betting on yep. splitting eights and all of that jazz. So yeah, <laughs> on two dollar at the two dollar table. That's when I knew. It, that's when I knew I was in a different situation because, uh, you know, the GM that I had in New York, Sandy Alderson. I don't yeah. think ever in a lifetime. I could see myself sitting down at a blackjack table <laughs> with him or him sitting down with any of his players. So that's when I knew I was in a whole other world and a, and a more comfortable place. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, uh, that's good. I'm glad, God, I'm glad you brought that up, Court. I, that's, that's exactly right. I remember telling Vance Lovelace, uh, who was my, my top guy, my right-hand man, so to speak, that uh, you know, I had a chance to get to, to know the, the Turner and the future Turner uh, a little bit better, you know, that night sitting there just playing some cards and relaxing, having a, a conversation other than, you know, a work type of conversation. So that was, yeah, that was a cool night. Good memory. Good memory, Court. Oh, but I the- never forget a blackjack table. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. I love it. Well, let's bring it back to your start in baseball. Obviously this year, well, I'm a White Sox fan, so I don't know if we – well, butt heads a little bit on that, but you obviously grew up a big Cubs fan and then ended up working for the organization. Um, I guess I want to speak to this year because, you know, honestly, Justin's entire career, I thought I could avoid this potential situation of, you know, a White Sox Dodgers situation. I remember back in his Mets days, I actually mentioned it um, to someone at an event and they were like, Oh, that's fine. You can always have your American league team. Just hope they never play each other in the playoffs. So (laughs) this might be, you know, the one year where it gets a little interesting for our Chicago teams. Yeah, it's right. It's uh, it's rare that both teams have a chance in the same year. I did grow up there and uh, my first uh, baseball gig was with my hometown team. Um, I can't tell you I ever rooted for the white Sox, although I was in Houston when they won the world series. Um, I went to that series because I had never seen a Chicago team in my lifetime win anything. So I did go, and I guess I did quietly root for the Sox that night to, <laughs> to bring some some uh, some celebration back to my hometown. But uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, White Sox, I talk to people in Chicago all the time that, that follow them and, and work for them or scout for them. And they have a very, very good team, very deep team uh, offensively especially and they, they put their time and they haven't been to the playoffs for a while but uh, that would be a huge series but it also mean that we're Dodgers are playing a World Series which all we ever want is a chance right yep. give us a chance and we take that chance and we'll see how it goes but that that would be a classic series and I think I know who you'll be rooting for <laughs> I won't be stitching two jerseys together. That's for sure. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, Ned. We uh, ever since I first started dating Court, uh, she's had that World Series White Sox license plate holder on her car. 
And she no made way. me a deal. She's made me a deal. She still has it. She said, when you guys win the World Series, I'll change it. I'll take it off and change it. So uh, it'll be extra sweet if we beat the White Sox in the World Series to make her pull that thing down and put a Dodger one up. Quite that is tough. That is rugged. <laughs> that means like I might. My first year in L.A., I wore my Giants ring just to agitate people a little bit. And, and Omar looked at me because I had just signed him, and he goes, what's with the Giants ring? I said, what? I said, I want the guys in here to get pissed, you know, to get a little agitated. Why Why should the Giants continually beat the Dodgers? Because the Dodgers were losing to the Giants like eight out of nine years. So I guess that's my license plate a little bit was that ring. <laughs> I, I wore it for about a week, and uh, Lasorda came up to me. He goes, you know, I love you. I said, yeah. He says, if that ring ain't off the finger, the whole hand's going to go. <laughs> that, that sounds like Tommy. <laughs> oh man! Well, speaking speaking of the Giants, how was that? How what was it like making that transition from inside the division? Obviously, a huge rival, going from being an assistant GM over there to come to the Dodgers, and you know that's not a transition many people in baseball ever make, right? I mean, yep. there's there's not a whole lot of people changing sides in that, in that rivalry. What was that no. like for you? Well, l- luckily I, I didn't grow up in either city cause it would have been, it would have been a little bit tougher to, to have to change uh, if I had grown up in, in San Francisco or in LA. The, um, one of the little stories about all of that was uh, I had a couple teams call me. I was the assistant GM to Brian in, uh, in San Fran for about a decade or so. And a couple times I had teams call for permission. Uh, Pittsburgh and Cincinnati were, were two of them. And Peter McGowan, who was a managing general partner, just passed away about a year and a half ago, um, he wouldn't tell me. But through the underground, you know how it goes, JT, you start to hear things, right? Mm-hmm. So I went to Peter and I said, so I understand that a couple teams have called and, and wanted to talk to me about getting a GM gig. And he goes, yeah, but you don't want to go there. I said, well, wait a minute. You know, I said, you're probably right, but shouldn't I have the choice? There's 30 jobs in the world like this, mm-hmm. you know? And I says, and I don't want nothing bad happening to Sabian. And he says, look, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a new deal and I'm going to put in there that you're going to succeed Brian. I says, you know what? I, I don't want to succeed Brian. Brian, I mean, Brian and I are like brothers. You know, we compete like crazy. Uh, with the one year we were, we were uh, both in the same race. I think it might've been 13 or 13 or 14. And uh, we wouldn't speak to each other for the entire year, but, but we're tight anyway. And so <laughs> as, um, as it goes on, he gives me this contract. And I said, you know what? I want language in here that says that you will give me an opportunity if another team calls, that you will give me an opportunity to, to talk to them. And he says, all right, I'll do that. I'll do that. So he says, but then you have to give me something back. I said, what's that? He says, you and Brian, you guys, I just figured this out. He says, you got, your guys' contracts always expire the same day. Because we had talked about if, if we ever get boxed in San Fran or whatever, if we get a better opportunity, that we would leave together and go someplace. And he says, so I'll give you the language that says you can, I'll give you permission to talk to somebody. But you have to give me an extra year on your deal where you will not talk to anybody until we figure out what Brian's doing. So it happened to be that year. Very few people know this story. So this is in, in uh, October of 05. I'm in Chicago. It's, uh, it's my son's birthday. So I'm going out to dinner with my wife and uh, son, and the phone rings. 
and it's Jeff Kent. And I look, and, you know, I've known Jeff for years in San Francisco, great player, but I'm thinking, you know, he's been gone two years. He went to Houston for a couple of years. He played in L.A. for a year. You know, this is probably a pocket call, right? So I don't answer <laughs> it. And I drop off, you know, my family at the restaurant, and I go back and check the voicemail, and it's him. And it says, call me. So I call him. Now, this is like October 26, 27. And in my contract, I could not, Peter would not give me permission to go anywhere until after November 1st. And he also made it in the contract that he didn't have to tell me anything. If anybody called before this particular November 1st, and this deal, this contract was two years old already, but it had this date, November 1st, 2005. If you get anybody calls you between today and that date, I'm not telling you. Starting November 1st, we'll have a deal with Brian, or Brian will be gone and you'll be the GM. You know, then we'll tell you. Okay, fair enough. So Jeff calls me on this Saturday night, and he says, I just talked to Frank McCord. He goes, uh, they've made a, a change with Paul DePodesta, and he's asked me for suggestions. And I said, I've only got one, and this guy knows how to win. He knows how to build teams, and he's, he respects analytics, but he doesn't. he looks at who the people are. And he says, I don't want to be any place where they don't take into account who the people are. So I encourage you, Frank, either, either talk to this guy or trade me. And so he says, so is that okay? Can I have Frank call and ask permission? And I said, not for a week. And he goes, not for a week. I says, not for a week. <laughs> and he goes, why not for a week? I said, Jeff, I, I don't want to get into the detail of it. Tell him to call me next week. Some, call Peter McGowan like a week from now. And so he says, all right, yeah, you're sure? I says, yeah, just take, what if he hires somebody else? I said, there's nothing I can do about it. Tell him I have an interest, but he shouldn't call me for another week. So a week goes by, and it's a Thursday night, about 10 days go by. And Peter McGowan calls me in his office at the corner of, you know, Pac Belder or now Oracle Field, right overlooking the Willie May statue, right in that corner office, and he calls me in. And we become great friends. We're at Candlestick Park together and, you know, through all of that. I mean, I don't know if you ever played at Candlestick, JT, but it was like playing no, Alcatraz. Never got the yeah, never got the chance. Like Alcatraz. It was a little nasty. But um, he says, uh, I got bad news. I go, what's up? And Barry Bonds had been going through all sorts of stuff off the field at this point in time. And I says, what's up with Barry? And he goes, nothing. It's not about Barry. It's about you. I says, me? You got bad news on me? There ain't nothing. You know, I got no idea what you're talking about. And he goes, well, no, no. It's not, a, it's not about you. He goes, the Dodgers had just called and asked permission to talk to you about the GM job. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah. He goes, I can't let you do it. I says, you have to let me do it. <laughs> he goes, no. He says, I'll give you another extension to your contract. You're not going there. I'd rather have you go to Oakland across the bay than go to the team we're trying to beat. I can't let you do that. And I said, Peter, I said, there's only 30 jobs in the world like this. And I said, it's the Dodgers. It's not, it's not you know, the, the other two teams that have called. I mean, this is like real. And he goes, he goes, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I got a problem with this. I said, Peter, I said, don't make me say that legally you have to do it because really legally you have to do it. Yeah. And he goes, all right. All right, I'll let you talk, but he says, make sure that, that you, you want to do this, right? So, and he said, I'll do it. You know, I want to talk to Frank. So the next day I talked to Frank, and, and Peter will not give Frank permission to talk to me for another eight days. Peter is trying to stall out as much time as possible. <laughs> this is a Thursday night. He won't let me talk to, 
the Dodgers until a week from the next day, a week from Friday. So eight days go by. And I said, Peter, you can't just give him permission right now? Because back then the permission window was 72 hours. I said, you could have given them to him for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And we'd all know by Monday. And he goes, no, I'm hoping he goes elsewhere. It doesn't say in your contract how many days I have to acknowledge the receipt of permission. I said, you're kidding me. So long story short, that's what happens. And I, and I go and I meet with Frank on a Friday and, and spend about eight hours with him. And then on Monday, I had to go back for a second interview, which was like from about 1 o'clock in the afternoon till about 1 in the morning, nonstop. I felt like I was in a heavyweight fight. He had the heat on <laughs> in the suite. He had, there was no food. There was just water, the heat on. And he just kept going and going and going. Smart, smart guy. And um, the next morning, he, uh, then at the end of the night, I'm giving you a little probably too much detail here, but at the end of the night, he says, uh, where are you staying? I said, well, isn't it uh, it's, it's usually typical that if, if somebody calls you in for an interview and you have to stay overnight that they put you up in a hotel? And he goes, well, I don't expect you to stay here. It was the Beverly Hills Hotel. I said, well, where am I going to stay? And he says, oh, that's not my problem. I said, and we're standing outside this, this hotel room arguing at 1 in the morning. Where am I staying? I said, so what am I supposed to do? And Uber wasn't around. I said, what am I supposed to do? Wait on Sunset Boulevard for a cab to go by? And then have the guy drive me around? Because we were meeting back at 6 in the morning. I said, I said Peter, uh, Frank. And he goes, all right, all right, you can stay here. So the next morning, <laughs> and I'll start to wrap this thing up here. Uh, the next morning, he comes in at 6 o'clock in the morning. I sleep like three hours. It's, I mean, this guy is like so relentless with it. 6 o'clock in the morning, knock on the door. And um, he says, uh, let's get going. How much time I got? And he had till noon on Tuesday to make a decision. And um, he says, uh, you know, how'd you think yesterday went? I said, fine. He goes, did you have any questions or reservations after we were done? I said, no. He says, you sure? I said, no. I said, why do you keep asking me? I said, I thought it went, went okay. And he goes, uh, what'd you think of the day? I said, well, uh, I said, it was as hot as hell in here. First of all, it would have been nice to have, have a meal, but you know, whatever. <laughs> And he goes, well, let me tell you what I did. I left, uh, I left home yesterday and I told Jamie, that was his wife then, I told Jamie that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see how bad this guy wants this job. I know he hasn't probably eaten this morning. I know he was at Peter McGowan's office in the morning. And uh, I you know, had him fly here uh, on, a, on a moment's notice. I turned the heat up in the suite as high as it would go. I knew you were going to wear a suit. Uh, I was in a, a short sleeve shirt, as you recall. Uh, I had eaten before I picked you up. So I was going to make you wait and not eat. And uh, I was going to fight with you at the end of the night to make sure you would stand up for what was right and in, in staying at the hotel. And uh, I said, well, how did I do? He said, by the time I got home, I was exhausted. He says, you almost wore me out. So <laughs> that's, that's how it all began. And then he offered me the job at about uh, 1130 with a 12 o'clock deadline that wasn't going to be extended. And uh, he offered me less money than uh, – and uh, he was paying Paul, who had five-year deal, and he had signed him. He'd fired Paul after two. And I told uh, Frank, would any kid like me who grows up in a garage in Chicago and first in his family to go to college, whatever, you know, what typical of people like that, what they would say? I told Frank, you got the wrong guy. I'm not working for less. I'm not doing it. And I stood up and I left. Because I knew this. I knew that he wanted me. I knew that he had called me back for a second interview. I knew it was November 15th. They had no manager. They had no coaching staff. They were 71 and 91. The team I inherited was 71 and 91. 
the second worst team in the history of the franchise. And I knew, and I just, I took a chance that he was not going to let me out of the room without a better deal. So he offered me three years at low money. And I said, uh, no, I'm leaving. I closed up my briefcase. I shook his hand. I thanked him for uh, the honor of offering me the chance to be the GM of the Dodgers. And um, as I started to walk out the door, he goes, what's it going to take? I said, here's what it's going to take. I'll make less than Paul the first year. I'll make uh, the same as Paul the second year. I'll make more than Paul the third year and more than I make the third year in the fourth year. I need four years guaranteed. And he said, all right, if I do that, I need a fifth-year club option. I said, I'll give you a fifth-year club option. You do that, I'll give you a fifth-year club option, but you've got to give me an employee option too. He goes, why would you need an option? I said, because after four years, I may be you know, tired of being here, I'm tired of being underpaid. So you know what, why don't we just both have a say in what happens to me after four years? Maybe I'll walk, or maybe you can just fire me, however you want to do it. I said, but you know what we're going to do, Frank? We are going to win. And he looked at me and he says, all right, I'll give you that that that, that executive that employee option. So as things turn out, the first year we go from 71 and 90 when the team I inherited, we win 88 and tie San Diego for the West and get beat by the Mets in three games. 07, we have a little bit of anarchy, young players, old players, doesn't work out. 08, we go to the LCS against Philly and Chase. 09, we go to the LCS against Philly and Chase, and we get beat in both series in, in five games. And uh, that's when my contract expires. And, and Frank comes to me during the division series against St. Louis, and um, we swept the cards that series, and he comes to me and he says, you know what, you've uh, you've earned this, I'm going to pick up your option. And he says, you're right. He says, uh I said, uh, you're right, I have earned this. And guess what? I'm declining. So when this year, when uh, October 31st hits, I'm a free agent. And he goes, well, you know, what do you want to do? I said, well, I want to stay here. I said, I got a lot invested in it. I've got a, a lot of people that I've, I've trusted with a lot of responsibility. And I feel bad for them, too. And But they understand that what we're doing. And if, uh, if you don't see fit to give me a multi-year deal after this, so be it. I'm fine. Because I knew I could go back to San Francisco in a heartbeat, too. And so as, as one thing leads to another, we, we do a deal. And uh, before the 31st, I get three years plus two more option years. And by me sticking to my guns and requiring that fifth year where I had the option too, most people would just take the four years and, yeah, you want the option on the fifth, who cares? But by virtue of me staying steadfast, not knowing how to predict the future or what the future would bring and wanting as many options as possible, that next year is when they went into divorce and they ended up having to sell the club within another year after that, which gave me a couple more years with, with Stan, Caston, and, and that group, and then options after that. Had I just taken the one year, I would have been swept out. JT, I would have never even known you in court had I not <laughs> taken that fifth year like, the, like I did. So anyway, long, long story, but uh, it's been an honor to be with the organization, and I'm, I'm glad I'm still around to watch it. And watch you guys play and watch how good you are and, and watch how you, you do things in the community. It's a, it's a tremendous thing to be a piece of. Yeah, I'm glad you shared that story because uh, I'm sure a lot of people probably think uh, the, the process and the hiring process is uh, pretty simple, but obviously there's a lot that goes into it and there's clearly a lot of negotiating that goes into it. So uh, not only are you negotiating deals for your players to, to come in, but you are negotiating deals for yourself before any of that ever happened. So I appreciate you, you sharing that with us. Yeah. A little long winded there, but uh, you got me started. So I figured, <laughs> I figured I'd go to distance. 
I love it. That story is so boss. The closing of the briefcase is the move, I think. You're just packing up your stuff. You're like, all right, see you. <laughs> he was so tough. I mean, he was he was brilliant at a lot of different things, and a lot of people here didn't like him for a lot of reasons, and I, and I get that. But as a business guy, he was uh, – they could, they could teach a Harvard business class based on what he did. One other tiny piece to that story is um, I'm a huge Frank Sinatra fan and Dean Martin and, and the Rat Pack. And the morning, at, the, at 6 o'clock in the morning, uh, he says, you want some breakfast? Well, I hadn't eaten in like a day, and so, yeah, I could, I could use a little breakfast. So I order a bagel and a hot tea. And the guy comes in, the server comes in, puts it at the table, and he goes, uh, did you have a chance to stay here? I said, yeah. And he says, uh, this is my favorite suite in the, the hotel. I've been here for, for 35 years. He said, uh, you familiar with the Rat Pack? I said, oh, yeah. He goes, this was the suite that they hung out in. It was three rooms. It had a meeting room a barb and a piano in a second room and then the master bedroom. He said, this was their place. They come in here for a weekend and they'd party all weekend long and play the piano and all this stuff. And so, you know, you got to sleep where, where these guys hung out. I thought that is so cool for a kid growing up, how I grew up to have a chance to even stay in a room that, that Sinatra and, and Martin and those guys played around in. And he said, the carpet is, is, is uh, everything is new except the piano's the same and the bar is the same. So I thought that was neat. So at the end of the story, is about two weeks after the uh, GM gig ends, I, I help out of one of the uh, great uh, non, uh, non-profits in LA, a place called Home at, uh, at 29th and Central, I think. And they have a big fundraiser. So I go. And you know, I don't know anybody there. I know the guy that runs it. I know some of the people there, but I don't know all these people. I'm standing there by myself. And this guy comes over with the champagne during the reception part of the evening. And I, and I kind of wave him off, and he, and he keeps coming over. And uh, he goes, Mr. Coletti? I says, yeah. He goes, bagel and a hot tea, November 15, 2005, the Rat Pack Suite. I was the guy that brought it. How's that? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> True story. Yep. Dang. Crazy. Yeah, that, yeah. that is awesome. <laughs> you yeah. had the best so. stories, obviously. For people that don't know, you have a book, The Big Chair, that obviously details, you know, a lot of these stories in there. And you're you're the best storyteller. I feel like I could talk to you forever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, The Big Chair is kind of interesting because I I didn't write it to sell it. I um, you know, when you're when you're running a team, it, it's nonstop. It's pretty much every day of the year. And suddenly, I'm not the GM anymore. And so suddenly, I've got like all this time, what am I going to do with it? I haven't had time like that since I was a teenager. So I disciplined myself to write from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. every night, have a glass of wine, a little Sinatra or Dean on the, the music thing. And you know, I live in Manhattan Beach, so keep the window open, listen to the breeze and all that. And I just wrote it almost journaling, almost uh, you know, high, high-end journaling, I guess. And I ran into uh, an old buddy of mine at, at Craig's, and uh, I'm walking out after having just a, a dinner with some friends. And he says, hey, come over here, man. And I go over there and he says, I want you to meet David Vigliano. I said, hey, David, how are you? He goes, good. He says, hey, I know your career. I said, that's great. He says, I'm from New York, but I know I'm a big baseball fan. I know your career. And my buddy says, Ned, if you ever write a book, you got to have David represent you. He's a literary agent. And he says, have you ever thought about writing a book? I think you'd, I think you'd have a phenomenal story to tell. And I says, well, I'm like 425 pages in right now. <laughs> and he goes, what? I go, yeah. 
He goes, who's representing you? I said, nobody. I said, I'm not selling it. He goes, you're not selling it. Why'd you do it? I said, I just wrote it to get it out of my head. You know, there's a Sinatra chapter, and I had dinner with Sinatra years ago. There's like a Greg Maddox negotiation when he left the Cubs for the Braves. Stuff that people didn't know. It's not a kiss and tell book. It's, it's got no, nothing bad in it at all. It's just, it, it was just written by my, you know, to get the stuff out of my head and put it on paper for my kids, grandkids, whatever. And he says, you're making a mistake not selling this thing. I said, you know what? I, I don't need to pay the bills. I, 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 I don't have interest in doing it. He goes, here's my card. Think about it. So I thought about it a couple of weeks. People said, you ought to send them some chapters. So I sent them five chapters. First chapter, the last chapter, and um, Sinatra chapter, the Maddox chapter. Kind of a different, you know, every one has had a different feel to it, a little bit different tenor to it. And I sent it to him on a Friday. And on Sunday, he sent me uh, a couple words back. Send the rest. So I sent the rest. He called me a week later. He says, you have a bestseller here. He said, this is what I do for a living. And I looked the guy up on the internet, and he's right. I mean, he represents like 70 books that have been on the New York Times bestseller list, including about 15 or 20 that have been number one on the New York Times bestseller list. So I knew the guy was real. And uh, so he says, you know, I'll represent you. I take a little bit more big than, than most because I'm better than everybody. But you'll see that. And uh, I went out and I met with Random House and uh, – and who else? Uh, Harper Collins and Hachette, both business and sports, and uh, another smaller publishing thing. I went out for two days of interviews with them. They meet you. They put you in a room for three hours with an editor and marketing people. Did that five times. Flew back, and a week later, he said, "I put. I'm putting it up for auction." And I was driving down uh, Santa Monica Boulevard towards the 405, and the phone rang. It was him. He said, "I got offers from all five. Here's the best offer. It's the best group. It's Random House. They love you. They love your personality. They love the book. And um, you're going to have a bestseller if we do this. I said, you're the agent. You tell me. He goes, I'd do it. I said, let's go. And it was a bestseller. I wrote it by accident. It was a bestseller for 22 weeks on, um, on uh, what Amazon book type of thing where people buy most of their books today. And, and for baseball, for sports autobiography, and for sports leadership, 22 weeks in the top 10. Crazy, all by accident. That's amazing. But you never know. That's yeah. amazing. I definitely want everyone to check it out. The big chair, and then also they can follow you on social media. Real Ned Coletti. You don't want the fake Ned Coletti. And once again, thank you so much for your friendship and for taking a chance on Justin. It's always so wonderful to talk to you, and hopefully we can have you back on here again to tell more of your incredible stories. But wanted to yeah, thank you again, and definitely stay well, and hope to see you. Fingers crossed soon. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, I, hope I appreciate it. You're welcome. I thank you very much for having me on and thinking of me and inviting me to your, your big day a few years ago. Um, I know a lot of people. I know a lot of baseball players. I know a lot of baseball wives. I, I know very few, very few, probably less than five, like I know the Turners. All the best. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. We'll talk All soon. Right. All right. Be well, guys. Good luck to All right. JT. Thanks, Bye. Bye, Court. You see what I mean about Ned being – this incredible storyteller. I feel like there are so many stories we probably don't even know. Obviously, if anyone's read The Big Chair, he gives you such a deep dive into everything, but I feel like there's so many stories that he's probably never even told. So like I said, I would love to have him back on here and just ask him more and more things. I feel like so many things can just come up from signings and, you know, we didn't even get to talk about, you know, that transition of, you know, Kenley going from catcher to pitcher, different things like that, that 
you know, he would have that behind the scenes scoop and everything on that, you know, people will definitely want to hear. So he is such a fun one. Justin left me all alone. He had to go and start his day. He's in Colorado. Obviously things are a little different right now with him on the road. Starting this whole podcast, I thought, you know, it'd be me sitting in a chair next to someone doing an interview and, you know, with COVID and everything, everything has been over the phone, which I'm grateful for. And it's definitely interesting, but really looking forward to having those in-person conversations in the future when it's safe to do so. So Justin's actually taking his COVID test right now. So he is swabbing or spitting or poking or prodding something to make sure that he is safe and healthy for the game tonight. Thanks again to Ned. Everyone follow him on social media. Like I said, real Ned Coletti and check out his book, The Big Chair. And then you can also catch him on TV every night with Sportsnet LA doing his thing alongside Jerry, Nomar, John, Alana, the whole crew. You know him well. And yeah, once again, everyone, make sure you're subscribing and you're leaving those ratings. Definitely read them and appreciate them and appreciate all of the feedback and all of your support. So thanks again to Ned. Thanks, Justin, wherever you are. And we will talk to you guys next week. Bum, 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 bum,